0: and of course, we'd love to have you drop in anytime for a visit to learn and worship along with us. And now, here's our teaching for this week. Man, we don't even tell them what to say beforehand, but you guys say all the right things. We keep picking winners. Eventually, we're going to get someone up here and say, you know, we came, but we gave this church a lot of tries over and over again because you weren't friendly, we couldn't find where we were going, and the message just didn't relate to me at all. So um, thank you, April. and Everybody that's so brave to get up here and read scripture. I want to welcome you to Sunridge, whether you're right here in our building right now or you're joining us online. If you don't know me, you're a guest here today. My name's Britt. I serve the church as a lead pastor. And uh, this is a great Sunday to be a guest because following church today in the main hallway, last classroom on the left... We're having a welcome to Sunridge, and it's just about a half-hour hangout. Our staff wants to meet you. We want you to meet us. We don't sign you up for anything. We just would love to get to know a name with a face. We see a lot of new folks uh, at Sunridge. I'm looking out here right now. I actually see you. I see you fall asleep. I see you, like, get bored. Uh, I see all, but um, I see a lot of new faces, so we would love to get to know you guys. I know that uh, you have, if you've been in church for any amount of time, you've heard uh, of God's children being referred to as sheep. And there's certainly a lot of similarities between Christians or God's people and sheep. And it's kind of like a soothing, kind of pleasant, idyllic kind of view of us, you know, as as God's children. We're, We're little sheep. And I bet you that some of our kids right now are coloring pictures of sheep up in their Sunday school class. But did you know that God also refers to his children as another animal? Mules. Yes, sometimes I wonder if that isn't more fitting. In Psalm 32, 9, the psalmist wrote, Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding but must be controlled by bit and bridle or they won't come to you. Doesn't that feel good? Aren't you warm and fuzzy now? You know, sometimes people can be stubborn, especially when it comes to our relationship with God. We can fight and resist. We run away. We kick and we bite. We don't like to be put in the corral. We don't want the bridle on us. We don't want the yoke or the saddle on us. And we pull our own way sometimes instead of pulling with a team. And I know that Jesus said that his sheep know him and his voice, but I wonder sometimes if Jesus doesn't look down, on his little flock, and he hears more hee-haw than ba, right? So if you're just joining us, I didn't mean to insult you, but um, we're just a few chapters into our study of one of the most well-known people in your Bible, Moses. And even if you're not a Bible scholar, you've probably heard of him. You probably know some of the stories that are related to him. He was the point person with, uh, that got Pharaoh to release the children of Israel. Uh, And he led the Israelites out of bondage. He split the sea. He led them for 40 years in the desert. And God gave him the Ten Commandments. But right now, we're pretty early in Moses' life. And right now, if you were a betting person, you would not risk a single dollar on the idea that Moses is going to be this person that leads the children of Israel out of Egypt. As the adopted son of Pharaoh's daughter for his first 40 years, as we've noted, he lived a life of privilege. He was raised in a palace with his adopted grandpa, the pharaoh. He was uh, sent to the most prestigious schools of the day. He was a military hero. He had it all going for him. But now, in his second 40 years, he's a fugitive. He's living on the backside of Midian, which is out in the Sinai Desert. He's working for his father-in-law as a shepherd, which is a despised vocation to an Egyptian. And um, he is seemingly, uh, this this part of his life seems to be a necessary part of his life in preparing him for what God has for him in the future. Now, right now, when we look at Moses, we don't know how much regret he's living with because of his decisions. It does appear like he's picked up and moved on. We don't know how much passion he still has for his people, the Hebrew people of his heritage. And we don't know if he's living with any kind of sense of anticipation of what God will do through him. But what we do know is that he woke up one morning and he went to work, as April just read, and he's in the family business, the sheep business, and he heads out to a remote spot out in the Sinai Desert that might have some grazing potential for these sheep. And he's all alone out there in the desert with a bunch of sheep. There's not much to do. There's not much to see. It's just another day at the office for Moses. And he sees a bush burning. Now, that's no big deal. I'm sure Moses saw bushes burning in the desert before. I don't know if I've ever told you guys this, but I used to be a fireman. And uh, I've seen bushes burning in the desert, lots of them. But I've actually gone out to calls, uh, 20 miles west of Barstow, in the middle of nowhere, someone drives by on the highway out there and sees one bush on fire, and they call the fire department. And we go out there, and sure enough, there's a bush burning. And you wonder, like, how did this happen? Did lightning strike it? There's no clouds. You know, uh, is it just so hot that the the bush started on fire? Or did mice have matches, and they're out there causing problems? We don't know. But uh, I think Moses is just out there, doing his thing, and uh, he has no Wi-Fi, so there's no Netflix or football, and uh, here he sees a bush burning, so I'm sure it's interesting to him, but it's no big deal. But as he keeps watching the bush burn, it doesn't go out. Now, that's different, and so he walks over to have a closer look, and there a theophany That is a representative of God that speaks on his behalf. He's also called an angel of the Lord, speaks to him. And he says to Moses, that's close enough. You are in a holy place. You are in the presence of God, so take your shoes off, which is a Middle East uh, tradition to show respect and honor and reverence. And there Moses hides his face. And there the angel of the Lord says to him, I am the God of your father." He's identifying with Moses' Hebrew heritage. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now, as his nanny, we we mentioned this last week, as his nanny in the palace, Moses' mother probably told him stories about his people. You remember, he went there as a baby. So somewhere along the line, he's heard about his heritage, and the promise that was made by God to his people that one day they who had no place to call home would one day come to a good and spacious land that flows with milk and honey. And at that point, something has to be awakening in Moses. You wonder, does, do all these stories from his childhood or like whatever he remembers, does that come back to him? And here God says to him that, I have seen the suffering of my people at the hand of the Egyptians. And he must think to himself, God knows. He had to wonder if God saw anything. It's been a horrible time for him. And he says, God knows. And he does see. And here's the best part. God says in verse 8, So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians. And Moses must have been, yes, yes, yes. Finally, our prayers are answered. The injustice is going to be made right. God is going to deliver us. Hallelujah. And then God says, so now, go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And Moses is like, wait, what? what? I thought you said you came to rescue. I thought that this was an A-B conversation, you know, you and them, so I'm going to see my way out. (laughs) Now, maybe at one time, if you've been tracking with us the life of Moses, maybe at one time he saw himself as Israel's deliverer. But after his failure, he can't fathom it, and there's nothing in his current situation that says this is This is being planned for you. But remember, he's been training for this probably without even knowing. He's been at the University of Midian and he's about to get his diploma and get an assignment. Now, I want you to notice something about this conversation. It is not a multiple choice arrangement with him and God, it wasn't even an invitation, it's a call, it's a command. So, God is not asking his advice regarding his plan. He doesn't call for a brainstorming session with Moses. Okay, uh, let's, let's talk about what we could do here. He doesn't ask Moses to collaborate with him on a solution to the problem. And up until now, God has been doing all the talking, basically. But in verse 10, Moses starts talking. And boy, does he have a lot to say. You know... Uh, actually has a lot of questions. And actually, you could call them excuses. And this is where, much like us, I think Moses looks a little less like a wonderful, fluffy sheep, like those he's caring for, and he looks and sounds more like a mule. And from verses 11 all the way through chapter four seventeen, we have recorded for us five questions... Or five excuses Moses has and God's reply. So, in your notes, if you're a note taker, it says five blank. So, I don't want you to put anything in there yet, okay? This is going to be choose your own adventure, (laughs) all right? Because we're going to talk about these questions, and I want you to decide when we get done, I have my opinion, I want you to have your opinion. Um, We're going to talk about whether these are five questions, Or are they five excuses? That's going to be up to you. But first, I want to look at the five questions. You guys ready? Slap your neighbor and tell him you're ready. Okay. Some of you husbands got hit pretty hard. I saw that. Maybe you deserved it. Question one, Lord, who am I? Who am I? Verse 11, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Moses like, I'm nobody you got the wrong guy. You have to have better choices than me. You remember the last time I tried something like this, I failed. Don't you remember, Lord? I killed a guy, and then you sent me out here. And I thought that that was the right move, but here I am in Midian. You don't remember that? And Moses is like, I'm not doing that again. Question two, Lord, what if I don't know enough? What if I don't know enough? Verse 13, Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? <laughs> then what shall I tell them? And Moses was like, Lord, I don't, I don't know the answer to that question. I mean, maybe I used to know a lot, but I've forgotten everything I've learned. Forty years ago, I was a graduate of uh, the Temple of the Sun, Probably. But I don't remember anything. You can relate to that, right? It's been a little over 40 years since I was in college, believe it or not. And um, do you think that I can remember anything at all about the music of the Renaissance? (laughs) I don't. And I mean, I I stand in front of the refrigerator now, and I don't even know why I'm standing there. So (laughs) I'm sure Moses doesn't remember much. So Lord... What if I don't know what I need to know? Question three, Lord, what if someone opposes me? Verse 14, Moses answered, what if they don't believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? Moses said, Lord, they're not going to listen to me. What if they don't believe me that you said I was supposed to do this? What if they say, you're full of baloney? God didn't appear to you. How am I going to do this thing? With these people, if no one will listen to me, or worse, they work against me when I try to do it. And even though Moses has forgotten a lot of things from 40 years ago, he for sure hasn't forgotten what happened the last time he tried to lead. Remember, remember what happened? What what they said to him? Who made you ruler over us? We're not following you. And those were probably the last words Moses remembers as he hightailed it out of town. It was probably ringing in his ears. Question four, Lord, what if I don't have the skills? Verse 10, Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. So Moses here is saying, Lord, do you realize that whoever does this is going to have to interact or negotiate with really powerful people? And I'm not capable of that. And God probably thought, said, you know, you seem to be doing a pretty good job right now because you're arguing with God, right? Moses said, Lord, I don't have the skills. Maybe at one time I did, but I'm rusty now. I haven't been leading soldiers. I've been leading dumb sheep. I haven't been negotiating deals with foreign powers. I've been talking to these critters out in the desert." I used to be pretty good with a sword back in the day, but now all I have is this shepherd's staff. I used to have titles to my name, but now I'm just a nobody out in the middle of the desert. Who's going to listen to me? And in question five, and this really gets down to it, doesn't it? Lord, what if I just don't want to do it? Verse 13, Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send somebody else. So here Moses is out of excuses or questions. And he just says, can you just send someone else? So those are the five things God and Moses talked about here. About this new venture, this thing that God had for him to do out in the middle of the desert. So what do you think? By show of hands, are they excuses or are they legitimate questions? How many of you say, those are legitimate questions to me? Okay, good. Don't, don't be scared. There's not a right or wrong answer. You get the pick. How many of you say they sound more like excuses to me? How many of you are familiar with those excuses? Yeah, okay. Either way, um, you can fill in the blank now. Put five excuses or five questions. We're going to go forward here. Either way, these are the five things that Moses was concerned about. Now, how did God answer those questions? That's what we're going to look at right now. When Moses asked, who am I? In verse 12, God said, I will be with you. Now, what is that all about? You know, in almost every case in the Bible, when God calls someone to do something, their response is self-doubt. And I would say that's often the right answer. That's often the right response And in almost every case, when God gives an assignment that seems too big to a person and they say, that is way beyond me, who am I that I could do that, that?" God almost always answers with, I will be with you. Uh, When Isaac feared the Philistines and was thinking about escaping to a safer place, in Genesis 26, 3, God said, I will be with you. When God told Jacob to go back to the land of his heritage, he said, I will be with you. When God directed Joshua to lead Israel into the land he promised, he told him, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. That's Joshua 1.5. When God called Jeremiah to be his prophet and he felt like he was too young, God said, don't be afraid of them for I am with you. Jeremiah 1.8. When David wrote Psalm 23, he said, The Lord is his shepherd, even if it comes to walking through the valley of death, he will fear no evil because you, God, are with me. When the Apostle Paul was in Macedonia and he faced opposition and ridicule and riot, the Lord spoke to him and he said, Don't be afraid, don't be silent, keep on speaking for I am with you. Acts 18, 9. When Jesus gave the disciples the great commission, the thing that their lives were going to be all about and it's going to cost them their lives eventually, what did he tell them? He told them, I am with you to the end of the age. That's in Matthew 28, 20. Now, God never sugarcoats the implications of following him, of naming yourself as a Christian. And he never sugarcoats what might come in life to us. And if you're thinking, like, well, I thought to become a Christian, like when I did that, life was just going to be perfect. All my Christian friends will be perfectly nice, and all my kids will perfectly follow Jesus. That's not true, is it? And do you know, regardless of how popular this saying has become among Christians, God never said, you are enough. Because you're not. What he did say is he would be with us. So question two, when Moses asked, what what if I don't know enough? When Moses asked, what, what if they ask who sent me? What is his name? Verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. In other words, Moses, this has nothing to do with what you know or you don't know. I am the God of the universe, and if I've called you to do this, then you tell them that. You tell them that I sent you. Now, I want to say that I think Christians should be educated as much as we possibly can. There's no, God does not call us to intentional ignorance or to follow flimsy uh, ideas. Uh, we're supposed to study His Word and compare it to what's happening in our world around us, but the next time you're afraid to say something about God because you're worried someone's going to ask you how God got the dinosaurs on the ark? You know, don't worry about that. Just remember that God called you. And by the way, my answer would be, I have no idea. So let's talk about Jesus anyway. Question three, what if I face opposition? Moses was worried that people wouldn't listen to him. Rightfully so, right? Or even oppose him. And God's reply was to give him three miraculous signs. He turned his staff into a snake and back again. He made his hand leprous and healed it, and he turned water to blood. Now, I'm not saying that God is going to give you miracles that you can walk around doing that will personally back you up. But I think what God will do, and I think he did this for Moses in that context, is he said, let me take care of your reputation. You let me worry about that. No matter what they're saying about you, no matter if they're following you or not, if, God is call, if I'm calling you to do this, you let me worry about those details. Question four. You guys still with me? Okay. What if I don't have the skills? Remember Moses said he doesn't speak that well. He ain't got no good grammar. And the Lord said to him, "'Who gave human beings their mouths? "'Who made them deaf or mute? "'Who gives them sight or makes them blind? "'Is it not I, the Lord? "'Now go, I will help you speak.'" And I will teach you what to say. Now, as I mentioned before, sometimes the the, the thought of inadequacy is the requirement. Because that way, God gets the glory. Sometimes people will say, you know, God will never give you something that you can't handle. That is not true. He doesn't want us to have, he doesn't expect us to have every skill that is needed. He wants us to need him. And when we do, God says, I'll help you to do what I'm asking you to do. Then question five, what if I just don't want to? When Moses said, God, can you just please send someone else? And I love what the Bible says here in verse 14, then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. God got frustrated with them. Isn't that interesting? It's like God said, okay, enough, Moses. Now, that's, some of you are getting a little shaky in your boots right now, and that's a great discussion to have in your life group. <laughs> Does God get frustrated with human beings? Because I'm not going to answer that for you today. I think personally he gets frustrated with me just like you do. You know, I think in this point, at this point, God is saying, look, look, Moses, I've answered every question that you have. You keep bringing them up. I keep answering them. But really, it just comes down to this, doesn't it? And in the end, um, God offers to include his brother Aaron uh, in, this endeavor, in, in this endeavor. And, uh, you know, you can ask another, another great question for your life group. You know, is God capitulating to Moses here? and to his insecurities? Does God do that? Good question to consider. Or is this God's way of saying, you know, I recognize that this is a big step for you and I'm going to give you a partner and uh, I'm going to fulfill that request so that you can't keep arguing about everything I'm asking you to do. This one simple thing. Really easy, right? Either way, this conversation with God um, ends up with God assuring Moses that he can have Aaron at his side. And he's basically saying, look, I've met your every doubt and inquiry, but yes, you can have your brother. Now get your stuff and get out of my office. (laughs) And that's where we're going to stop today in the life of Moses. And if you're new at Sunridge, I like to somewhere put a caboose on... The train of Moses' life, and we just want to stop and talk about, like, what does this mean to you and me living in uh, the Temecula Valley in 2023? Does it even apply to me? I don't know about you, but I don't have, uh, I don't expect that when I leave the church today, one of our bushes is going to be on fire and God's going to talk to me out there. I'm not going to have a conversation with an angel. If it happens, it'll be awesome, and I'll tell you about it next Sunday, but but I don't think it's going to happen. But I can tell you that all five of Moses' questions sound really familiar to me. And uh, I'd, I'd love to tell you it's because I've read this passage so many times, and so they sound familiar. But, and that is true. I've read this passage a lot. But that's not why they sound familiar. The reason they sound familiar to me is since the day I became a Christian in 10th grade, in uh, on September 23rd 1972 i've asked these, these same questions of god over and over and in my case at least they sound a lot lo- a, a lot more like excuses than they do questions and sometimes my conversations don't sound like ba they sound like yeah <laughs> what about you what is the thing that has been that you just feel like god is nudging you to do there's something what is god working on you about something that you're thinking you know that one comes around a lot for me what, what, is, what, is, what are you sensing that God wants to change in you? What is the step He wants to take you, the next step? You know, I can imagine that everybody that's sitting in this building, or even if you're listening online, something's coming to your mind. It could have to do with your kids. Like I, you got questions and struggles there. Or it could have to do with your work life, your business. And something that's pending there. Or it could be your marriage. You're wondering what God is doing. If He's doing anything. In your marriage right now, you, you, some, for some of you, it's your health. Like you've, Something's changed. Um, some of you, it's as basic as, you know, you feel God nudging you to teach second grade Sunday school. And you're like, well, I got a lot of questions about that, Lord. But every time that thing comes to your mind or the Holy Spirit kind of nudges you in a similar way that Moses is here, you come up with questions. And just ask yourself, are, are they legitimate questions or are they excuses? You know what I'm saying? Now, I want you to think about that thing that's in your mind it, or fear. It could be a fear. Can you describe it with a word or a phrase? Can you get it down to that? It's that thing that you think, well, if this was gone, or this was kind of settled, I'd be good. I wouldn't have a worry in the world if this thing was taken care of. I'd feel secure then. I want you to put that in this blank. It is not the absence of blank that gives you security. If you're taking notes right now, put that that thing in that blank. This is totally choose your own adventure today. Have you noticed? It's a little freestyle. If you can't think of anything, just put fear. Put the word fear in there. Now, you can see that this is a two-parter. It's not the absence of blank that gives you security. Now, fill in this part. It's the presence of God. It's the presence of God. Did you notice that although Moses posed five questions or excuses, your choice to God, God's answer is essentially the same every time. Whatever the concern, whatever the question, whatever the fear, there was really one solution. And that solution was his presence. Moses brought out all of his fears and his questions and his concerns to God, and God kept bringing him back to this one thing. And Moses was like, but Lord! And God was like, yeah, I know, I know. But I am with you. And in every way, from every angle, God kept assuring him that he's right there beside himself, beside beside Moses. Now, Take that one point that I just had you work on, and I want you to read it to yourself right now. You don't have to read it out loud, but we're going to put it up on the screen. It's not the absence of that will give you security. It's the presence of God. That is what Moses is learning at the burning bush. He's got big things ahead of him. He has no idea. But God is teaching him something that, is going to, that he's going to rely on over and over and over again as, this, as his life proceeds. And I think we can take the same lesson. I'm not saying there aren't real fears in the world. There are. Sometimes we create our own fears, but life is scary. And if you don't think that life is scary, you're not paying attention. And I'm not saying don't be afraid, because fear keeps you alive. I mean, fear keeps me from swimming with sharks. If a fin shows, I'm done. Uh, Fear keeps me from surfing mavericks. Fear makes me go to the doctor when I have a lump or a weird-looking spot on the top of my head. I know that's a little too much information for you. (laughs) You see, it's not a choice about having faith or fear. God has inherently given us common sense and fear. It keeps us alive. And the truth is there are very few times in our lives when there's not something to be afraid of or something that's concerning to us, something that, like, gives us anxiety. And the Bible talks about heaven being the only place where there are no tears, no worry, no anxieties, no fear. That's coming one day for those of us who follow Christ. But Moses' fear of going toe-to-toe with Moses II is really well-founded. He's the most powerful man in the world. He has unlimited authority, no accountability. He can kill with a word. And Moses is scared to death of him and what he could do to him. And we know, because we've read the book, many of us have read ahead in this story, we know that the people that he's going to lead are going to rebel against him. So that's a legitimate fear as well. So his fears show intelligence. And God never delegitimizes any of those fears. I think it's even appropriate to make a direct connection to fear and anxiety and concerns and excuses that are caused by sensing a call of God on you for something. Today was our uh, Mops Day. How many of the Mops leaders are here today? Raise your hand. These are some of them. Real high. Real high. Loud and proud. Yeah, these are great ladies. I wonder how many of you that are leading, um, you are afraid. When someone asked you to be a mops director or on steering committee or a table leader or a mentor mom, how many of you, before you filled out the sign up for Sunridge Kids or Bridge Builders, you were overtaken by fear? And how many of you that are doing it now go, that was the right response? How many of you that like the first time you auditioned to be on our worship team, you felt a nudge and it's like you talked to Jed. You looked in his eyes and you couldn't say no and you had, were you afraid? Some of you are afraid to be out there like talking to new people at first impressions or you're thinking about middle school, helping there. That should be scary. Or high school. Or to be a life group leader or to host a group or lead a Bible study. And I've watched, like, you know, some of our newer staff come on, and like the big thing is coming up, one of the big things that they have to do with their department, and they are full of fear. It's totally normal. So just feeling that sense of call of God on you for something can give you fear. But, like, how many of you fear just strikes you when you just think about all the responsibility you have in your job as a mom? as a dad, and I wonder how many of us don't feel inadequate in where we are right now, where God has us, or where life has taken us, right where I'm sitting, what I'm dealing with in my life right now. You're not, you're not afraid. Maybe, maybe it's a new promotion, this thing, you, you got it, and you're going to have to do it now, or you might have to move, or you're getting ready to tackle a big project. As a contractor, or you're a salesperson, you just got this larger territory and all this responsibility. Or you're a student and you're going off to college this fall. Or maybe you got a medical issue going on. And it's like there's all these things coming at you. And you feel inadequate. And you feel unqualified. And you're wondering if people will believe in you if you take that step. Or maybe you're just not motivated at all And you'd just rather somebody else do it all. And like Moses, you just find it unavoidable to get away from the thing that God is nudging you about. And you've run out of questions. If that's you, God is with you. Don't underestimate that promise. Whatever the case, he is with you. Whatever your anxiety, whatever your fear, whatever the big challenge is that's coming to you, whatever you're deciding to do, he says, I'm with you. That doesn't mean everything will be happily ever after. You might still get divorced. Your financials may not line up in the next month or six months or a year, Your kids may not be where you want them to be. And even if you're just thinking about volunteering somewhere, that's scary, I know. But your security is gonna be found in something that you can depend upon, that God is with you. I'm gonna ask the band to come up and I know that some of you are thinking, man, I don't feel like God is with me. I don't, I don't sense him. And it dawned on me, like, um, it's a lot like teaching your kids how to ride a bike. How many of you did that? How many of you taught your kids how to ride a bicycle? Okay. And then now I'm teaching my grandkids how to ride bicycles. And running down the street holding the back of that seat is not like it used to be. <laughs> like, I'm going to take Motrin after that. And here's how it goes. You like, you get them on the seat and you start, you know, pushing them and you say, now pedal. And you're doing all the work, right? You're holding them up. They're just barely even moving their feet. Sometimes they just keep their feet on the pedals. You don't know, pedal, pedal. And you're going along with them and, you know, like you're letting it go, you know, and grabbing back and they start to get afraid, right? And they just keep looking back at you and you're like, no, don't look at me, pedal, pedal. Just, I'm here. And like uh, recently, like in the last year, my grand one of my granddaughters, like she kept looking back and reaching, letting go of the handlebars and grabbing me. And I'm like, no, no, you gotta look forward. You gotta pedal. You gotta hold on. It's like just go. I'm here. I'm with you. You may not know I'm here. You may not feel that I'm here every moment, but Grampy is here. Dad is here, and I'm here. And then you let him crash, and you know, no, no. (laughs) And you you just keep going and like and then you let them go and they start to wobble and you sprint up and you grab them. I think that's what it's like to trust the presence of God. That you can't always feel it, you can't always you can't always see them, but you have His word to tell you I'm there. And that's just like you telling your son or your daughter, or your granddaughter, or your grandson. It's like I'm here. I'm gonna help you pedal. So the next time that you're standing at a burning bush and God tells you, I I have something for you to do. I have a situation you're going to have to go through. And you don't feel like God is there. I want to remind you of this promise. And I want you to pedal and don't look back. Because that's what it means to trust the presence of God in our lives. Pedal. Don't look back. He's there. You have the promise of His presence. Let's pray. Hey everybody, it's Britt again. Thanks for listening. If you need something, if you have a question, or you'd just like us to pray for you, you can reach us through email info at sunridgechurch.org. We hope you'll listen in again next week, but in the meantime, keep helping people find and follow Jesus.